0: I love it when we give our youth a platform at this church. I don't know about you, but that was such a personal blessing to me. <laughs> uh, it's, and really, we do this not just because we can, but because this is who we are. <laughs> this is our church. This isn't some multimedia juggernaut church with big screen TVs behind us. This is, that's polished to perfection. This is a community church and that is what we value in bracing up these kids and letting them be part of this service (laughs) you know guys don't take this the wrong way in youthful pride but we are so grateful to have you guys here (laughs) we are blessed this church needs your gifts your talents your abilities your availability to be here and your willingness to serve the way that you guys are a part of this service today. So on behalf of all of us old people here, thank you for being part of it. (laughs) You know, it's not lost on this church, the value and necessity of raising up the next generation, because we all know it. we're not going to live forever myself included, somebody has to be raised up to take up the mantle, to take on the next generation, to to be the next generation of people at this church. Someone has to take up that mantle. And, and that being said, you know, those were powerful verses that they read from us today, from 1 Timothy and from the book of Psalms. Um, and if you were listening closely, you'll see that Everything about those texts that you read for us, Morgan and Mikey, were the opposite of what the culture believes about children and about raising up the next generation. Um, yeah, it's uh, hilarious to me that the Bible has largely become the counterculture. Think about that for a second. But that verse from 1st Timothy was an encouragement to a youth that Timothy himself was a youth when Paul was writing that letter to him. Now, they define the youth back then as still probably even in your 20s, and very much so is still today true, but a youth nonetheless. And this young man named Timothy was called to set the example to everyone, all the believers in the churches, uh, to be an example of faith, of love, of purity, and all of these other things. And guys, this this upcoming generation, I'm sure as you guys are aware, are known for many things. Many of them good, but is purity the first thing that you think of when you think of the next generation? Or love, putting other people's needs before your own. These aren't the first things we think of when we think of Gen Z and the new Gen Alpha coming up behind them. But I think that's exactly why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these texts that we went through this morning. That It sends a powerful message when the person you would least expect to set the example shows the rest of us older believers how things ought to be done. It sends a message. Because when your peers notice you guys living in faith, in love, and in purity, that your speech isn't laced with profanity and vulgarity, people will take notice that something about you is different. That you're not like other people in this generation. And people will know right away that you guys are special. And, you know, it's it's funny because people today do all kinds of wacky things to make them the unique one. Things they shouldn't have to do. Dye their hair all colors of the rainbow just to make themselves the unique one in class. Well, let me tell you, there's an easier way to be unique. Just be the person God has called you to be. And regretfully, <laughs> that will make you super unique in your in your class and amongst your peer groups just by following the person that God has called you to be. Which, by the way, again, this is I keep coming back to this point, that this is why we're called to be a community of believers at this church. <laughs> While many of us older believers can benefit from the encouragement of a younger example like you guys, there are many mature believers in here that will gladly help you get there. You know, As much as we need you, as I look around this room, I see a group of people with life lessons that need to be passed on. Some that were bought from tears that we would have you guys avoid if we can. Or coach you through it for the inevitable ones that we need to go through. We need each other, which is why we're not a youthful church or an older church. We don't define ourselves that way. We are a community church. With this, and the best of all worlds is when you have a younger generation like you guys being trained up by the older generation, learning our life lessons at your age. Everyone benefits from that. And with this, this new generation so riddled with fear, with anxiety, with worry, You know, we could all, perhaps, even my generation, can learn an awful lot from the people who've gone through that already. We'd all benefit from having conversations with people like Arvid, who have just so perfectly modeled this unwavering trust and peace with God that we all could learn a bit from. We would all benefit to learn to have a heart to serve other people from people like Elaine, who you got the, the Monkier Lopez limo, always always taking care of people. I'm sure you're going to be helping other people at this Walk to Bethlehem event in a few hours. We could learn from that example or from learning how to take care of those who are less fortunate and struggling from from Mary, from George, from Ruthie. And your example to us. We can learn there's an awful lot to learn from your example as well. All of us. <laughs> now, few things are more con- countercultural than what Mikey just read from us from the Psalms. That was a that was that, that's a powerful verse when you think about it. That children are a gift from the Lord. Some of your translations might have said a heritage from the Lord. No. And these days, the cultural narrative is that children are a burden. But here it says they're a gift. <laughs> oh, Pastor John, I don't know how you do it with three children. And, and I get it. I get that. But when I read this chapter and many others I could have chosen from, the children aren't painted as burdens, but Blessings. And I can tell you, it is a blessing to have each of my children. What are you looking at me funny for, Morgan? <laughs> but it's true. It's, it, it, it's the point. Blessed is he whose quiver is full. That's what I'm talking about. Blessed is he who has a bunch of children and grandchildren and perhaps great-grandchildren as the years go by. That person is Blessed. And we need to rediscover this truth as a culture. The funny thing is, we intuitively know this. We, we, we know this. We think like this. We just don't always talk like it. I mean, I've never personally met anyone who said, you know what? I regret having this child. I wish I had one less. Can I give this one back? I, for most of us, that's not our experience. And I don't, and look, I, and I can say that with authority. I got a friend of mine who has nine kids and he wouldn't trade one of them. So with that in mind, you know, I don't want to minimize the difficulties that come with parenting or the many understandable reasons why people don't have nine, 10, 15 children. There's many reasons why that doesn't happen to everybody but i just want to remind us of the blessing that children are that gets forgotten in the overall narrative in our culture of who children are and the gift that from god that they truly are what's even more countercultural is what is implied here about parents when you think about it from that same verse in the book of psalms because if a warrior is going to fire that arrow they first had to make and fashion that arrow that was ready for the task. You know, the Bible was written a long time before the industrial age of mass production of everything. If a warrior wanted an arrow, he had to make one and delicately design it for the task it was designed for. You know, and anyone who has ever had small children with a large imagination, no, you can't just pick up any stick off the ground and use that as an arrow. It's got to have a lot of natural imperfections that need to be curved, need to be adjusted to be ready for that task. When that day comes to be used as an arrow. And doesn't that preach to us today, parents? That It's not that we have to change or throw the, arrow, throw the stick out, but no, we just need to adjust its natural imperfections to be used for the purpose that it's called for and made for. No. I'll point the finger at myself. I have got one of my children who has a very strong will. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. I see the great good she is going to be as she as she grows into that strong personality and is able to do such good with it. I'm excited for her future as I think about it. But If she uses that power for evil, watch out. Now, the teenage years will arrive for me eventually. But again, that strong will isn't bad. It just needs to be used in the right way. To torture this warrior analogy, it just needs to be aimed in the right direction. You know, I've talked to lots of parents and even teachers over the years, and there's this general consensus that this one size fits all approach to parenting and education, it just doesn't work. Mass production doesn't work on kids. They're all different. They're all made uniquely in God's image. And they have different strengths and weaknesses than I do and than you do. And as parents, or even Grandparents or mentors of people who have young children in their life, or even if there's just a child in your life that you just kind of like. We're all helping them prepare for that launch day that they are, and that they are prepared and sent in the right direction that we ought to pray and strive not just to raise a child, but that we are preparing them to be godly adults someday. Remembering that that's the direction we're aiming in. (laughs) That we give them that sense of direction, a sense of purpose, a mission in life that is in conjunction with the Great Commission and their unique natural giftings. That we have to be the ones to instill within them this sense of purpose and direction in their life because, again, let's face it, the culture is not going to do that. They need us to come alongside them, both as parents, as mentors, as elders, and as a church community to help them in that. That's what we're called to do. Because again, the culture is going to do a terrible job on their own. Out of curiosity, I did a Google search this week asking what was the purpose in life. (laughs) And you won't believe the first thing that came up. (laughs) Rooted in it, the purpose in life is to find a good job. That was the first result that came up. By, by the way, I phrased the question. Is that all life is about? Working and making money? <laughs> but if you ask parents what they're aiming their children towards, that's the answer. That's what we're striving for. You ask them, and this is what you're going to hear. You're going to hear any parent of a teenager say that, my child needs to be on every sports team, every after-school club, and the editor of the school newspaper. Uh, Okay. Why? Well, so that they can get into a good college. Why? Well, so they can have a high-paying job. Why? Why? so that they could pay off the debt that they needed to go to school. Wait a minute, hold on. (laughs) Seems circular, doesn't it, when you word it that way? And then after that, after the debt is paid off, then what do you do with the rest of your life when you finally pay it off in your 60s? You ask them, they have no idea, what is the purpose of life? I did the purpose of life. Seriously, why get on that treadmill? Why is that what we're aiming our children for? So that our kids can have a lifestyle of working 70, 80 hours a week and never see their family? And have a nice house but never see it? And look, I'm not against that lifestyle. I'm not against working, obviously. you know, some Some people are called to work that kind of a lifestyle, make tons of money, and do great things with it. I have a friend of mine who started a company and has become quite successful, has successfully funded the planting of some 40 churches throughout Asia. That's a great use of using your giftings for God's glory in a good way. But let's not pretend that would be success for all of us or that we would all be that faithful if we were given a large sum of money. But you guys remember what happened when some of you guys were here when My good friend, Brother Mike, was here a number of weeks and months ago now. And he asked us, what was the chief end of man from the Westminster Catechism? Some of you guys have been around long enough to know the answer. (laughs) To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. That is our goal. That is our purpose in life. That's what we're aiming towards. Not profit, not more stuff but to glorify God in all of our decisions, whatever they are. (laughs) To, 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 and more than that, to enjoy him forever. You're definitely not going to get that from the culture that we ought to aim our kids, not just to be obedient, not just to be successful, but to enjoy God, to let him be the pearl of great price that we discussed in the gospels a few weeks ago to let him be the treasure of our lives as the as our friend who is closer than a brother in Jesus Christ really is and we, therefore we ought to aim this next generation to enjoy him to have a sense of belonging when they enter into this church to have a sense of of excitement to come here throughout the week not just on sundays To have a joy in opening up the scriptures and an anticipation of enjoying him in prayer. That's what we ought to be aiming our kids for. The question is, what are we aiming at to give them an example for? Because look, to give something away, we have to possess it first. I can't give you something I don't have myself. So in that sense, you know, it's, it's a great thing if you give a child a Bible. That's a great gift, but a greater gift is letting them see you enjoying the Bible. Letting them see you enjoy the things of God. Letting them catch you praying in another room. That is a real gift, and that is a gift that will stick with them further than pretty much anything else you can give them. My prayer is that all of us would strive to be the generation we would want our kids, to aim towards. <laughs> and this way we can say along with Paul, as he said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Rather than the far too often replacement that we hear, do as I say, not as I do. One is much more effective than the other. <laughs> so let's remember, especially this time of year, That that children are so precious to our God that he became one at Christmas. That he would leave his throne in heaven, casting aside all of the glory that he had as king of heaven, to be a lonely child in a manger, but keep in mind for some of you older kids here, he didn't stay a child. He grew up. He became an adolescent. He became a teenager at some point. Yet without sin, give, that's, that one's a hard one. That's a mystery of the faith. But all jokes aside, he knows what you've been through. He understands. He's walked in your footsteps. He understands all that you're going through, including those things you don't think he, anyone else does. But ultimately, he grew up even more, eventually dying on a cross, giving his life there so that you, your children, and mine can have everlasting life to all who believe in him. There is no greater gift than that this season. So if you don't know him this morning, if this is your first time hearing something like this i just encourage you reach out to him in prayer today you don't need to go through me you don't need to you need any fancy mechanisms or any mystical prayers just reach out to him speak to him from the heart admit to him that you are a sinner that you need his love and forgiveness and repent turn from your sin with all of your heart and turn to him and he will forgive you of every sin you've ever done past present and future, changing you from the inside out. That's what the gospel does for each of us. And how do I I know he's going to do that for you? Well, he's shown us how far he's willing to go. He's shown us how far he will go to show his love to us, to offer forgiveness to us by crossing the infinite distance of heaven to the manger that we remember at Christmas. And then from the manger to the cross, I'd say between the manger and the cross, we have seen exactly how far our God loves us and is willing to go to redeem us. This is great news, that he would do all of this just to redeem us. Thanks be to God. Amen.